Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. So good to be to be with you. Um, man, you know, in a series like this, it's, uh, you know, usually the sermon topic or title, I guess, partnered with the sermon series really kind of preaches itself. You know, hey, if you want a year with no regrets, I'd encourage you to serve. <laughs> if you want a year with no regrets, I'd invite you to be in community. If you're the type of person that you just need the bullet points and point me in the right direction and take off running, there it is. If you want a year with no regrets, I want to invite you to commit yourself to being in community. Now, everything else, I'm going to give you the details from here. So um, I want to read two passages to you, Acts 2, 42 through 43, and then Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Man, there's just so much else in Scripture that we could look at and that I would invite you to consider. But I'm going to read these, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get after it, okay? Acts 2, 42 through 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. When we talk about community, we've got to talk about this word, fellowship. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Austin preached out of this passage last week, and it said uh, it was not some, his equality with God was not something that Christ used for his own exploitation. My translation says to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Would you pray with me? Lord God, would you deliver us from a meaningless life? Lord God, would you show us what it means to exist in community just as you are in community? Lord, we, we worship you because you've sent your son to communicate to us that we need to be in community with you. So Lord, I pray, God, that you would use your word to transform our lives this morning. God, I pray that you would um, use this sermon to help all of us today. I pray, God, that you would set us free, God, to live a meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I think about this passage, as I think about what it looks like to live a life with no regrets, I think about um, sort of some of the implications of that. One, one being, I think we all have a common problem. I think we all have a shared problem that we can all 
hear and say, yeah, I think that that describes a problem that I too share. And that being, we all want to be going in the right direction. We all want our life to be going in the right direction. The sum of our life is determined by the direction that we travel and the distance covered in trying to get there. In other words, when you leave here today, when you go to eat lunch, you're not going to be satisfied if you only make it about halfway there. You're not going to say, well, I gave it my best effort. No, you're still going to be hungry. You're still going to want to get to the destination that you intended for you to eat lunch. So the success of that is determined by the direction you travel to get there and your ability to get to that location. All I mean is that some of our biggest fears in life go something like this. None of us want to live our life in the wrong direction. None of us want to travel in the wrong direction. None of us want to come up short on our goals. None of us want to miss something important along the way in the journey of our life. None of us want to begin traveling. And even if you got to the location, you don't want to have missed everything along the way. If we spent life trying to achieve something that doesn't matter, we'd end up with regret. If we came up short on a goal that does matter, we'd end up with regret. If we sought to achieve something that does in fact matter, but we lost people along the way, like our family, or we lost ourselves, or we lost loved ones in our ambitious pursuit of something that does matter, we'd end up with regret. These are all very real and very valid concerns, and it's like driving on a road with three ditches. It's like you've got both on both sides, but then as you're going, the time or the erosion of life is coming behind you. There is no going back. There is no fixing yesterday's decisions. You're having to move forward, and you've got these ditches of pursuing the right thing and or pursuing things that do matter and doing it in the right way and then not losing people along the way as you pursue this goal. Thankfully, through God's word and in the revelation of who God fundamentally is, we have a map and we have provisions for the journey of life. And here's what it is. The map and provisions that God makes for the journey of life is what I'm going to call fellowship community. We're probably all used to those words, maybe together, but for the most part, sort of, you know, one or the other. But I want to emphasize today this need for fellowship community because I think, especially here where we live in the Bible Belt and in South Georgia, that we get used to this word fellowship. Listen, I've been invited to go duck hunting, and it's been referred to as we're going to have a time of fellowship. Okay? Like, we, we're going we're gonna to go on a double date, and that is referred to as a time of fellowship. Okay? So that word, that is a very church-oriented word. And if this is your first time in church, you've probably heard Christians use this phrase of fellowship, and you've been like, well, why can't we just hang out? Why can't we just go do something fun together? Why do we got to fellowship, whatever that means? Uh, and, but then it's, it's true for all of us that we all want community. 
It's inescapable. We all exist in a community. We exist wherever we live, whatever neighborhood we live in. If I were to ask somebody, where do you live? Maybe you would start with something as vague as uh, Claxton. Maybe you would start with something vague like uh, Southeast, or not Southeast Bullet, that'd be a school, but uh, in Brooklyn. And then maybe if somebody's more familiar with your community, you get a little more focused. And you, you, you know what I mean by that. But I want to dis- define these words and I want to partner them together because they are such a crucial provision for this journey that is life. It's essential that we know them. So here's how I would, I would define fellowship. Fellowship is one, meaning a fellow, who lays down money in a joint venture. That's the ship. It's one who lays down money in a joint enterprise, in a joint venture. It's one who lays down something of value, somebody who has skin in the game. If you've ever heard that phrase before, fellowship is one who lays down money in a joint venture. Community. Community is the collection of people committed to the purposes of Christ. That's how we're going to define community this morning. It's the collection of people committed to the purposes of Christ. So here's the main point that I want to convince all of us of this morning. It's that fellowship community displays the gospel. It honors the Bible. It reflects God's character, and it meets many of our practical needs as believers. I've got a big goal this morning. i got a big goal that I want to help you see that when we say as a church, we desire that you would experience community in our church. We mean it. And it's not for our benefit. It's not for statistics. It's not for our glory or fame. It's because it's what's at the heart of God. I really believe this. I believe that fellowship community, if it's those people who lay down some skin in the game for a joint enterprise, if it's those who are going on a common adventure and they're putting their stakes in the game, and it's made of a collection of people committed to the purposes of Christ, here's what I believe. I believe that this displays the gospel. I believe that that honors the word of God. I believe that this reflects God's character, and I believe along the way that this will meet your practical needs as a person. I'm going to start with this. Here's how I would would illustrate um, why this matters. Here's how I would would set this up as as a picture of what I want to represent. So I've got some water and a bucket, and I've got a funnel. And this is sort of the the overall statement that I want to make. Here's why this matters. God wants to funnel his grace through you. Not just people on staff, not just pastors, not just a select few from the church. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he wants to funnel his grace and power through you. And I think so many times a common illustration that we hear in church is that I just need the Lord to fill my cup. The problem is a lot of times we take what God intends to be a funnel and we turn it into a cup. If we will trust the Lord that he can take an endless supply of his grace and if we will act as a funnel, 
There will be a time when the little bit of water gets stuck up in the midst of the funnel, but it will flow through the funnel into the rest of the world. And I ask myself, why would we resist being a funnel? And I think it's so often because we believe, God, I don't know if you'll fill the cup again. God, what happens when the funnel runs dry? God, what happens if I don't funnel your grace in the right direction? And we have all of these concerns about how is God going to use his grace in my life? And a lot of times what we end up with is a bucket of water. And what I can know from Scripture, from the testimony of my own life, and from just my experience as a pastor, is that God is constantly pouring his grace into our lives in ways that we just don't know. Last night when we were praying, I was tucking the girls into bed, and McClinton asked the most bizarre questions at 9 o'clock at night. And she asked, Daddy, how old will I need to be when I can figure out how is God good? Will it be when I get older? I said, baby, you can know God is good now because he gave us a roof over our head. He gave us food to eat. He gave us water to drink. He gave us parents that love us. He gave us sunshine to make us warm. And those are just the things that we all get. And then there's so much more. But here's what I know about water that sits still for a long period of time. Is that after an extended period of time, it becomes no good to anyone else. Water sitting still in a fixed container eventually becomes septic, right? It becomes something that's still and stagnant, and it's no longer good to consume. It can be poured out somewhere else, but it can't benefit people. Maybe God's filling has turned into a famine because his grace has sat still in us too long rather than being funneled into other people's lives. Maybe we are failing to trust that what God has filled, he can fill again because we, we, maybe we're afraid that he won't fill it because we are insecure and we're afraid that God won't fill us again. God, if I pour out, who's going to fill me back up? So we hold on to that which God meant to always flow through us. And that's sort of the illustration of today's sermon is that community, community is where God wants to funnel his grace through you and into community. Community is also where in God's mysterious economy, community is where God also sends his grace back through others and it's funneled back into you. But it starts with a step of faith. It starts with you making yourself available to community. It starts with you making yourself available to be used in community. Here's a common problem sometimes that I hear in connect groups. This just isn't really filling my cup. This just isn't really meeting my needs. 
And as pastorally as I can say this, maybe God's purpose for you in a connect group at this season is not for you, but for God to use you as grace in someone else's life. And my question to you is, is that enough? Maybe the water has sat still in you for so long that you need to let that bottle, take the lid off of the cup that you've built and let that grace flow out into someone else's life. And then allow God to open a new hole for God to pour his grace into and just continue to let it flow out of you. And I'm telling you that the place for that is community. Now, this isn't a plug for connect groups. This isn't a plug for anything specific. You can experience community through serving. You can experience community through going out and sharing the gospel. You can experience community as a part of your family. You can also not experience community as a part of your family. But community is meant to be the direction in which God's grace flows into and also God uses to put grace back into you. I want us to have a year with no regrets. I want us to have a year with no regrets. And here's what I know. is that there will be pain along the way. There will be suffering along the way. There will be some mistakes along the way. But very practically and as straightforward as I can be, community is something that you and I must have. It's a non-negotiable in the family of God. That's not a rule for me. It's just a fact of life that I can show you from Scripture. So I want to show you five big reasons why community will lead you to a year with no regret. And then I've got sort of a personal story that I want to share with you at the end. So I'm going to move sort of fast through these five big reasons, and then I want to leave some time because I want to share something that God has put on my heart and, and done in my life this week. Five big reasons why community will lead to a year with no regret. Number one, the gospel is an invitation to a new community that worship a God who exists in community. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's you. That's you and I, singular. We were alone, and we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. That's the gospel message. That is the good news of Jesus, that me alone, by myself, dead in my trespasses and sins, has been, has, God has pursued you and I to save us from our individual sin, to save us into a community of grace marked by the person of Jesus. And God has so much skin in the game of your salvation that he put his son on a cross to communicate that to you. God himself exists in community. We see this in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm sorry, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let me try to go back and read that for us real quick. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and sort of the, out of the realities of a lot of this, that's happening in Philippians 2, Paul breaks out in a song and it says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. 
Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we see is that it's all inseparable. The Bible, uh, it's all inseparable. If you want, if you want, God, the real God, the one true God, that God exists in community. There is no wanting God apart from community. So five big reasons. One, God, the gospel is an invitation to a new community that worships a God who is in community. And number two, the Bible is a story of those in community with God. I just read that Philippians 2, 5 through 11 passage. This is all to the praise of God the Father revealed through Christ the Son, empowered and attested to by the Holy Spirit. God exists in community, and the whole book is just this one rescue plan for you and I who have been separated from this triune God. We've been separated from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Father sends his Son to rescue us from our individual sin, to call us back into community with God. It's all inseparable. If you want God without community, you're looking for a God outside of Christianity. Number three, the church, by definition, it is a fellowship. The church is community. Philippians 1, verse 27, this is a very powerful passage. Paul says this in Philippians 1, 6. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, he who began a good work in you, I am confident, will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And then he says this in verse 127, just one thing, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is citizens, plural, doing what? Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If then there is any encouragement in Christ for you as citizens, plural, existing in this family of God, existing as fellow citizens, if there's any encouragement, any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit. In other words, if you're going to have fellowship horizontally, one with another, you've got to have fellowship locked arm in arm in what did we say the definition of fellowship was? One who lays down money in a joint enterprise. You have to be in a skin-in-the-game adventure with the Holy Spirit to be useful to the fellow citizens of God's kingdom. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Uh-oh. We don't always get along, do we? We don't always think the same way, do we? Fulfill my joy by having the same love. We love different things, don't we? Sharing the same feelings. <whistles> Sharing the same feelings, Paul? I've got to love the same things. I've got to feel the same way. Focusing on one goal. There's the uniter. 
focusing on one goal. Because if we are in a joint enterprise, if we are on one adventure, powered by the Holy Spirit, pursuing the same goal, we are going to be more united in our pursuit because that pursuit is to the glory of God, of his purposes. A lot of times what gets in the way is you and I. What a lot of times what gets in the way is, is my flesh. A lot of times it is the water that I hold on to not thinking that God can use in someone else's life. So it sits there stagnant and still and septic. And instead pouring myself out, as Paul says, as an offering for your benefit. He says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. I love something that Tim Keller says about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less often. And when we grab hold of that grace to be able to live this life in such a way that you come to such a grip with the reality of the world that Christ has freed me from sin. He has freed me for all eternity that if there was a rope, as long as this auditorium and as big around this, as this building, there would be a tiny little sliver of it that marks our life in these few years that we have on this earth. And then eternity just goes and goes and goes. And when we see God like that, we realize he has provided more than enough grace for us to live in the shackles that we feel here on this earth, with the pain that we feel, the sorrow that we feel, the limitations that we have, because we can be poured out as a humble offering for the benefit of other people's lives, because I know there's so much more grace and secured for me in eternity. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what the church is. The church is a joint enterprise with mutual skin in the game. And no one has put more skin in the game than Christ. The church is a community. That's what we are. Here's a hard reality about what the church is. The church is fellowship. The church is community. But the church is the bride. And you can't have the groom without the bride. There is no one that I'm friends with that dislikes my wife. Not one. Not one. Not one for you either. There's no one that is friends with Macy that dislikes me. You can't have the groom without the bride. And what the groom in his word has declared is that we are to exist in community. Number four, community gives direction to our purpose. Community gives direction to our purpose. It's where Acts 2, 42 through 43, it flows. It's where that, what we see there flows. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, to the fellowship, to the community. That's the direction that that energy flows. Community flows to this joint enterprise of us. Community gives direction to our purpose. Number five, community meets many of our practical but overlooked needs. 
community meets many of our practical but overlooked needs. Philippians 1.27, again, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Living your life in the direction of Christ ensures we are going in the right direction. How practical of a need is that? I can wake up every day and know I'm moving in the right direction of something that matters for my life because I'm moving in the direction of Christ. And the thing that ensures, like those little bumper guards in a bowling lane for a little kid or for me, is my community. That is what keeps me moving in the right direction. Practical points about community. It's your buffer in times of suffering. It's the crowd you celebrate when you're winning in life. It's the people you call on when life goes wrong. It's all of those things. It's all of these practical things. It's the people that pray for you when you're sick. It's the people that comfort you when you're experiencing sorrow. It's the people that... When you have a child that comes to celebrate and our life and encouragement to you, that's your community. But it starts somewhere. It starts with a commitment. Commitment to community is how we put skin in the game just as Jesus did on the cross. This is what I believe God wants to say to us this morning. I think he wants us to read Philippians 2, 1 through 4 and be challenged by it. Think the same way. Feel the same way. Pursue the same goal. That's hard. It's incredibly hard. And it's not because it's what Jordan values. It's not because Jordan's going to get some bonus or a raise because of some further commitment to this. This is your relationship with Christ. Do you want the real one or a fake one? If you want the real one, you have to exist in community. And my heart is burdened for this because I know how big of a gap there is. Between two services, over a 1,000 people attend our church on a Sunday. But you know how many people exist between serving, connect groups, and, uh, and our giving in the life of our church? Less than 300 people. There is such a gap between what it means to just come and participate and listen and spectate at a movement of God versus to be a part of it and exist in a community alongside the movement of the people of God. Listen, that number could go from 300 to 1,000, and nothing about my job is going to change more than I have more people to experience joy with in Christ. This isn't something that we as staff have to have out of you, but it is what God is calling us all to because he loves us. just challenge you. Read Philippians 2, 1 through 4, and then guide your life according to this call. This is the map God provides for arriving at the destination of Christ. Fellowship with God's people ensures that we're going in the right direction, that we arrive at the destination, and then this opens up a new dimension of life. And here's how I would say that to you. Acts 2, 41 through 47 Gotta go. This is too good. This direction, this destination, it opens up a whole new dimension of life that we so seldom experience. Acts 2 41. 
So those who accepted this message, this gospel message, this good news of the kingdom of God, this good news of being invited into the community of the people of God, those who accepted the message and were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Those people, freshly saved, newborn Christians, they devoted themselves. Not the pastor checked up on them, not their small group made them, not they just listened to their small group leader, not somebody did it for them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Do you want to experience awe at a move of God? Be in community. Do you want to, do you want to be blown away by what God is doing in the world? You got to be in community. You got to be in proximity to people. This opens up a whole new dimension of life, but it starts with our united devotion, devotion to Jesus. What we are devoted to will determine the dimensions of life that we access, and it is imperative we pursue the right one. Today is about our devotion. I want to invite you to devote yourself to the fellowship that is God's people, or said another way, devote yourself to community. And here's just dead level honest, here's what I believe. I believe that real, if you look at Acts 2, 42, that word fellowship, if you look at Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, that word fellowship, that's a word that means in Greek, or that is koinonia. I believe that real fellowship community, when that happens, that should result in people being saved from sin and certain death. It should result in people being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. It should result in people growing spiritually. It should result in people being served. And it should be an increase in our joy as the people of God. Here's one way we all as Christians have skin in the game. Community ensures that the gospel doesn't stop with you and I. Community ensures that the gospel doesn't stop with you and me. More than 6,000 churches close their doors every year. Every year. Less than 4,500 new churches are planted or started every year. Whose problem is that? It's ours. This is our problem as the community of faith. We have a vested interest in the good news of Jesus not ending with us. We have to be devoted to the direction of Jesus if we don't want the destination of our families to be one void of Jesus Christ. The discipleship of our family, that's our responsibility not ours as somebody that works at a church. It's ours who call ourselves the church. We are the community. We are the fellowship. And the discipleship of a next generation happens because of all of us. And now I want to share sort of a, a personal story that's something that's 
hurt me deeply this week. This week, and I don't say this lightly, I lost in my eyes who was Billy. He was my Billy Graham. He was my David Platt. He was my J.D. Greer. He was my Louis Giglio. He was whatever, whatever huge influence person that you can think of. And if none of that means anything to you, he was my mentor. He was the person that showed me what it was like to, to desire family, to, to be devoted to family. He was, he was my blueprint for what I thought I wanted a career to look like. And he was a pastor. And his name was Clint Clifton. Clint Clifton was responsible for leading a gospel preaching movement of church plants to every Marine Corps base in the, in the world. He was my friend, my friend, my mentor. And here's what I asked myself, God, what are we going to do now? How, how are we going to know how to plant churches. We lost, we lost so much knowledge and wisdom and experience. We're already losing so many churches every year, year over year. What are we going to do when the person that was the best at it is no longer here? So much of my hopes for the future of church planting, even at our church, it was built on my ability to pick up my phone and call Clint and say, Clint, what, what can I do? How can I help? And now he's gone. He was flying from Atlanta to D.C. And upon takeoff, he crashed and he died. And I asked myself, for the purpose of our community, who is going to replace that loss? And what I feel like the Lord said to me, what I feel like he told me was this, is that it's not going to be one man. It's going to be the community. It's going to be us. It's going to be all of us. It has to be. It has to begin with a new devotion. It has to be a belief in a new direction. It has to be a hunger for a new dimension of life. I pray you're not satisfied with all that you've experienced in life? Do you believe that there's a God out there big enough to open up a new dimension in life that you didn't even know existed? And that at the end of it, it would be to the benefit of so many more people than just yourself. It has to be a hunger for a new dimension of life and we have to do, we have to do it together. You may say, Jordan, I have zero qualifications for helping with church planting. None of us do. None of us do. Clint didn't. I didn't. I still don't. But we do it anyway. Because the best things in life require discipline that we do anyway, regardless of how we feel. Because it's not about my ability. It's about God's ability. Clint had two degrees. Both of them were in worship music. It would be as if Chase left us and started a church planting movement. That was the prior experience or the credentials that Clint had. He had no experience 
But God began to open a new dimension in Clint's life. He began to show Clint the need for church planting. And this, was, this is what a burden partnered with new direction or new devotion to a new direction can accomplish. I want to show you this graphic. You show the one of Clint's. Starting right there in the middle, 28 churches in 18 years on three different continents from sea to shining sea in the USA. If that doesn't get you fired up, you don't have a pulse. 28 churches in 18 years, and only there's no telling how much more there could have been. And it's not for his work anymore. It's for those who have a hunger for this whole other dimension of life, for what God could do. By God's grace, our church will pursue this same goal. Clint's vision and life left a legacy that we just saw in that graphic, but it includes influence that you would have never seen unless I told you. Our hunger and desire for the Connection Network, we have a desire to plant 50 churches by the year 2050. 50 churches by the year 2050. And so much of that was the blueprint that Clint left in me and left in Billy and left in us as a family of churches. We are at seven so far with Richmond, Richmond Hill launching last week on January 8th with 100 people in attendance with two baptisms. We have another church planner in our residency now, Stanley and Don Lane. And by God's grace, they will plant in 2024. But understand this, it all starts with community. It starts with true, biblical, authentic fellowship community. I've watched men leave careers in the Marine Corps almost two decades in to become small group leaders and enroll in a church planting residency. I've seen men leave med school to join church plants to oversee small groups. I've seen men resign from coaching and being principals to plant churches. I've seen men leave management positions to plant churches. I've seen men leave law enforcement to plant churches. Between eight church plants in the Connection Network, we have zero theological or pastoral degrees leading those churches. What we have is a community. What we have is a fellowship, people that have put money in the game on a shared venture, on a joint enterprise. We are a band of brothers and sisters devoted to a life, lived in the direction of Jesus Christ, and it has opened up a new dimension for them, their family, and for at least 182 people just in 2022 that surrendered to Jesus Christ and began their devotion to Jesus. That's roughly a one person getting saved every other day for an entire year. So how can we begin to start such a journey? We become determined to be a funnel of God's grace into this world and not a cup with his grace sitting stagnant in us. We allow God's common graces like being a part of a church, being heart and soul with a covenant community 
by existing in a community to be able to see God transform our life and let that transformation flow into other people's lives? Are you ready to be a funnel for God's grace in this world? Because he's ready for you to be. Regardless of where you've been, what you've done, what you've experienced, God is ready to use you in this world. Become devoted to being a community. Become available to God. Let him determine the direction of your life. Become obsessed with the legacy God could leave through you. And this is what I believe. If true fellowship community is happening, it won't be limited to people who already believe. Community is God's offense to reach the world, to be a light to the world, to display his grace to the world. Here's a quote. I've lost it in my notes somewhere. But in the first two centuries of the church, worship was not what attracted people to Christ. What attracted people, what people began to surrender their lives because of what they saw, it was because of individual believers devotion one to another. It was their Christian practice of existing in community that individual people began to raise their hand and say, I don't have that. Whatever they have, that's what I want. That's what I want for our church, to be such a beacon of light that people can't resist but to want to be a part of not just us because we're broken, but because of the Jesus that has put us back together. If you don't know that Jesus, I want you to. And we have a lot of people that would love to tell you all about him. Not because of some showmanship, not because of uh, some moment where we get a pat on the back, but because your eternity can be changed forever by surrendering to the God of the universe. Let me pray and we will uh, we'll be done this morning. But if you want to know this Jesus, if you want to exist in community, if, you've, if you know you have, you have been separated from God, that you don't know him, that you've never known him, and that you want to know him, I will be available to talk, to pray with you. But if you have been a vessel of water of God's grace, and you know, when you think about it, when you're dead level honest with yourself, you know God has done things in your life and it has sat still for far too long. I just want you to pray one simple prayer this morning. God, what's my next step? Whatever it is. God, is it to go to the next steps table? Is it to email somebody on staff and ask for help? Is it to email or call or text the, the most spiritually impressive person that you know, whoever's walked with the Lord that you respect the most? Is it to text them and say, help? Help me think about what God wants for me next. God, what's my next step? Let me pray and we'll be done. Lord God, we love you. God, thank you for your grace that you have poured into us. Lord, we need more. Lord, we need, we need you to open up the dimensions of life that we have closed ourselves off to. Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself and for my family this morning. God, we want whatever you want. 
God, save us from going in the wrong direction. God, save us from being devoted to the wrong things. God, save us from not desiring what you desire. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.